with you. Let's hold those up. I'm a child of God. Have in my hand. Powerful Word of God. Can change lives. Heal broken hearts. Save man's soul. Here's our prayer, Lord Jesus, today. Speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, we're finally out of the Old Testament. I think that suffices right there. Yeah. Yeah, there's more of them grumbling about it, wasn't there? Yeah, it's all right. Well, it's been a great study so far. 20 20 some odd weeks we've been looking at the in the story. We've been looking through the Old Testament. And now today, a pivotal message as we move into the new covenant in Christ. Covenant's not been established yet, just yet, but the beginning of the new is beginning today. And uh, so we've consistently woven through the fabric of the Jewish people for centuries this idea of the old covenant leaving, the new covenant coming, and this uh, promised Messiah. And God has done everything that He possibly can to allow for that relationship with His people to be rekindled. Everything. He's blessed them. He's provided for them. He's made, uh, when they've made foolish mistakes, He's restored them and cleaned up the mess. He sent people, prophets, to win them back and to warn them. But of course, they didn't listen. And uh, it seemingly, they didn't learn. So he goes into a stretch of silence between the Old Testament, between Malachi and Matthew. There's a silent period. And that silent period lasted, does anybody know how long? 400 years. Now that's a little older than Don Baker is, but um, a little longer. But he's rapidly pushing there. 400 years, that's a long time. And God was silent during that time. And, and he was, the anticipation was building, had to be building in the lives of the Jewish people. And after those 400 years, he sends his son. And so today is a hinge point, is a pivot point. History changes today. In our story. 2,000 years ago, God Himself travels from heaven to earth just at the right time to bring the right Savior to the right people. You ever heard of Christmas in July? Well, today it's going to be Christmas in June. We're going to talk about the Christmas story. What is the Christmas story? It's the birth of Jesus. Those of us that are Christians, those of us that are believers in God, we know the Christmas story is the story of the birth of, the, of Jesus, God's Son. And God is delivering on the promise that He's made all these years to the Jewish people. You remember the storyline, the one thread and woven throughout the entire story? That storyline that said He has a desire to reconcile people back to Him. 
Sin entered the world through Adam and Eve. Remember Adam's great, profound, wise statement when God said, How do you know you're naked? And what was Adam's great words of wisdom? That woman you sent me. (laughs) So the blame game started in the book of Genesis at the very creation of mankind. We've been looking to blame somebody else for our own responsibilities since then. But the Christmas story fulfills that promise, that reconciliation back to God. And when Jesus comes, we're going to find that there are many people who miss Him. They flat miss Him. Though He was predicted and promised and prophesied, they missed the clues and and it was a case of mistaken identity. And when Jesus finally did come, they didn't believe that He was the Anointed One, that He was the Messiah. You ever read any headlines in the newspaper, magazine, or on the the internet that maybe were a little bit misleading? I, I ran across a few I thought you might get a kick out of. Here's the first one. Police begin campaign to run down jaywalkers. Miners refuse to work after death. Juvenile court to try shooting defendants. Red tape holds up new bridges. Man struck by lightning faces battery charges. Hmm. New study of obesity looks for larger test group. Kids make nutritious snacks. Here you go, last one. Typhoon rips through cemetery, hundreds dead. <clears throat> Didn't quite get it, do they? Just like the Jews. The entire Jewish religious system missed Jesus, even though God had been preparing them for a long, long time. Cases of mistaken identity or misunderstood identity are more common than we think Especially when it comes to the Messiah, our hero is on the scene. Jesus comes and the masses are going to be quite skeptical that a man born to peasant parents is going to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In fact, his very hometown of Nazareth seeks to throw him off a cliff for blasphemy, claiming to be God's Son. And in Scripture we read about the Christmas story. It's a a very interesting story. Matthew was written to uh, to a Jewish audience, so he writes an account filled with fulfilled prophecies, clearly pointing that Jesus is the King. In Matthew 1.1 we find this, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of David, the Son of Abraham. And he goes through the entire lineage of Christ. That was important to the Jewish people. We knew where he came from. Mark doesn't say anything about Christ's birth. He picks it up at the beginning of his ministry. Luke, however, writes to Greeks. The Greek audience wanted facts. They wanted documentation. So Luke 1.3, he's a doctor, he's a physician. He writes this, With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you. So Luke gives us several clear snapshots of Jesus' birth. When and where and who was there, it's a very orderly account. And then John identifies what we need to understand about Christmas from more than a 10,000 foot view. He does it in 
poetic fashion. In John 1, verses 1 and 2, great words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And He was with God in the beginning. So notice how in John 1, he starts by saying, in the beginning was the Word. If you remember, in Genesis 1, the Bible starts with, in the beginning, God. God created the heavens and the earth. So John wants us to know that Jesus didn't begin in Bethlehem. He started long before that. John's telling us that Jesus is the eternal, just like God the Father is eternal and the Holy Spirit is eternal. In John 1, 3 it says, Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. Jesus is described by the Word of God and called the Word because He is the total fulfillment of God's Word. You're familiar with Matthew's account in Matthew 1, 18 through 25. says, this is how, in fact, if you have your Bibles, turn to there. I'd like for you to read along with me. Matthew 1, 18 through 25. I'll start and let you catch up. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you, will, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Then jump down to verse 24. And Matthew goes on to say, When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Look at three different areas how God works. God works in three different ways, three different areas. The first one is that God uses people. On your outline, God uses people. It's what he does. God uses people to do his will. Mary and Joseph are part of this story. He always uses people. Families, individuals. We studied Abraham. We looked at the life of David. We looked at Esther. God can do however he wants to, but he always chooses every time to do his will through his people. Why He's chosen to use us instead of just superseding us and getting it done, I'll never figure out. But He wants us to be a part of the story. And so He uses people every time. And we've been studying through the Old Testament. We've seen time and time again that God's work unfolding His plan. He uses people in spite of their flaws. And in the Christmas story, he used a young virgin girl named Mary and her husband to be Joseph, who was a simple carpenter. They are heroes of the faith. But now in the story, we have the arrival of the true hero. I want to remind you of something. The Bible can be divided into three phrases. Three phrases. The Old Testament can be summed up with the phrase, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And the New Testament, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke. John, they can be described as Jesus is here. And then the rest of the New Testament, from the book of Acts to the book of Revelation, 
It's Jesus is coming again, and you better get ready. <laughs> you better get ready. Well, there's a lot of time between Acts and Revelation, and there's a lot of time between Revelation and where we are today in 2014. But the same challenge, he's coming back, he's going to come again, and we better get ready. Has never re- sounded higher, has never resonated bigger than it does right now. We live in a time when the world's going to change. The Middle East is going to change. There is a huge change going on in the Middle East right now. Wake up, America. Wake up, Christians. And see the light of the world. And see the potential coming of the Lord. But it all starts with the birth of a baby boy on that silent night outside Bethlehem. God was born into the world. The voice that spoke the universe into existence, that thundered from Mount Sinai, that whispered to Elijah, could now only coo and gurgle. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us and was placed in a feeding trough. God uses people. Secondly, God has a plan. He, his plan is to give a gift and give it in person. You see, it's, it's great to get a gift in the mail, but it's even better when somebody comes up and hands it to you, doesn't it? Isn't it awesome? And that gift that God has brought to us is the gift of salvation. He has sent the gift of salvation. He will save His people from their sins, and surely no one will mistake the identity of the Messiah. He'll be a Savior that no one could miss. And when God came up with that plan, He wasn't doing it for Himself, just for kicks. He had a specific purpose. He had a plan. He has a gift that none of us could be worthy to receive, that none of us could ever deserve. It's a gift that no one could else could ever give us. Only God could give us Jesus. And only Jesus could give us the forgiveness of sin. In 2 Corinthians 9.15, it says, Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. God had a plan to send His Son. Before the creation of the world even took place, God had this plan. And His gift came with a price. All gifts come with a price. Jesus would be born. He would be a defenseless baby. He would grow up and become a man. He would be tempted in all points just as we are. Yet, He would be without sin. He would die on the cross as a perfect sacrifice to pay for our sins. God's plan, God's gift are indescribable. But God willingly gave the most generous gift knowing that many people would simply reject it. Many people would misunderstand it. Many people would mistake His identity, would misunderstand But He gave it knowing that many people would not return the favor and give back anything to God Namely, their hearts, because that's all he asked. And instead, he gave the gift, even though he knew that some would reject it. Which leads us to that third area that God's concerned about, and that God keeps his promises. Keeps his promises. Back in Genesis, God promised that the head of the serpent would be crushed by a descendant of Adam. He would make a nation that would be a blessing to the whole world. He promised Abraham that there would, there would come a man who would show the people of God how to live and he would become a savior. But the historic events providing the basic events for the gospel message unfolded. God promised good news through prophetic scriptures 
In Second Peter it says we have more, uh, we have the more sure word of prophecy. And if you don't understand prophecy, it's predictions that godly prophets made as God gave them direction. And what happened was these predictions actually came true. They weren't for something to happen next week or next month. They were hundreds of years in the distance. So this was an opportunity for us to be able to see. And as we read through the Old Testament, and as we've read these past 20 weeks, that God is showing His strength, that this is His story. He is validating it when all these predictions come true. There are over 300 Messianic prophecies about the coming Messiah. There are 60 major ones, and there are over 250 minor ones. And we find Jesus to be the fulfillment of every single one of them. I personally believe that part of the re- that's part of the reason why the 400 years of silence was to add more years, more distance from when the predictions were made. It would be like predicting something in the year 1600 or in 1200 A.D. for something that was going to happen this year and describing it to a T. I mean, think about some of the outlandish predictions. Micah 5 and verse 2. But you, Bethlehem Ephratah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be a ruler over Israel, whose origins are from the old, from ancient times. Isaiah 7.14 Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call Him Emmanuel. You know, that's over 700 years before Mary and Joseph even come on the scene. How about Matthew 1? It shares a fulfillment. It says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophets. Isaiah 53, to which today the rabbis refused to read and share with the Jews. Because it says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. 700 years before Jesus was arrested, this prophecy was made. How about Judas's betrayal of Jesus? Zechariah 11, verses 12 and 13, where it talks about the 30 pieces of silver 400 years before Christ is born. How about Christ's death on the cross? The execution method is predicted 800 years before the crucifixion was ever invented. It wasn't even used in Rome until 200 B.C. during those silent years and not in a Jewish province until 63 B.C. And yet the psalmist in Psalm 22 pins this, A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. There's no accident that this happened. Peter Stoner is a mathematician at, at, at uh, Pasadena Community College. Years ago, he did a study of compound probability. And he did the study to find out, what if Jesus just fulfilled eight of the 300 prophecies? So he took the likelihood, mathematically speaking, of a person who was born on earth, being born in Bethlehem. And what was the likelihood? Is that one in 10,000? Is that one in 300,000? What's the likelihood that he would be born in a town called Bethlehem? He did that with eight different prophecies, and he found 
that the odds of one man coming along and coincidentally fulfilling all eight prophecies were one in ten to the 17th power. Now, I don't know what that means, but that sounds like a whole lot. And those of you that are mathematicians, you can say, yep, that's a lot, preacher. And that's all I need. Don't try to explain what the 17th power means. Because I doubt I would get it. But it's astronomical what I'm told and what I've read. But my point is, is that he only did that to eight. And Jesus fulfilled all prophecy. Everyone. The probability is mind-boggling. You may not keep a promise. Ever done that? Ever made a promise and didn't keep it? Ever told your kid, you do this one more time and I am going to knock you into yesterday. And you didn't. You didn't knock them into yesterday. Thought about it. You thought about what Bill Cosby say, I brought you into this world, I can sure take you out. Yeah, right? There's been days as a dad when I look at my children and say, there's no reason to keep them here, honey. Let's put them out in the field and let the dogs have them. Right? It's crossed our mind. Don't sit there and tell me it hadn't crossed your mind. However, they've all three survived. Probably barely. Scarred and marked for life. But we've kept promises that we didn't keep. But God always keeps His promises. He always keeps His word. In fact, it used to be a time in our history where if a man gave his word, that's as good as any signed contract. Oh, that we could get back to that. So he waits for the timing to be just perfect. That is God. He waits for the perfect time. And in Galatians 4... 4 and 5, it says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that He might receive adoption to sonship. Let's read that again. But when the time, when the set time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. God's purpose was always to send His Son to be the perfect sacrifice for us, but also the perfect example. And that's why Jesus came to earth. And while we've heard so much about Him, even with all the descriptors, and most had an earthly kingdom in mind rather than an eternal or spiritual kingdom, and so many people mistook His identity and they missed the Messiah. But maybe, maybe you grew up with a preconceived notion of who Jesus was and you were very sincere about that. Perhaps your mind was made up, well, this is who He is. Maybe you've always seen Jesus as some historical figure, or maybe you've seen Him as a godly man or a good man, or maybe you've seen Him as a prophet. So many of the other religions see Him that way. But if that's where it stops, then you yourself are involved in a case of missing identity and mistaken identity. And it's my prayer that you will immerse yourself in a study of the Bible and that you will realize that Jesus wasn't just a good man or a prophet, but He was in in fact the Savior of the world. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. One of the first men to ever walk on the moon was the former astronaut James Irwin. And you may not know this, but James Irwin was a Christian. And after his journey to the moon for most of the rest of his life, he would always conclude his letters with this statement. There is one thing better than man walking on the moon, and that is God walking on the earth. Isn't that powerful? James Irwin understood the story. Jesus always keeps his promises. He always has, and he always will. And may I remind you that the very first time that Jesus came to earth, Jesus came as a tiny, helpless baby. He came in love. But the second time that Jesus comes to earth, it won't be in love. He will come in power, riding on a cloud. Make certain, make certain you're ready. Let's pray. Father in heaven, what you did when you sent Jesus was you engineered and orchestrated a rescue mission for us. And we thank you. We thank you, Jesus. And we thank you for your sacrifice. And we thank you for the sacrifice, God, that you made in sending him to us. And we're reminded of the words of Jesus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And you see, it's in that name that we pray. Amen.